Even if you don't hire me, you have to hire him. You both got the job previously on Blockbuster. Uh, I don't feel very good. Hey, are you all right? Whoa, that's weird. It's the soup. Stop it! Stop it! Help! Help! Hey! Hey! You okay, man? Uh, yeah, yeah. Somebody drugged the soup. Jesus Christ, Jim. Everyone's fine. We're gonna get slammed by press for this, Jim. It's Jamie. I have something you might like. But you need me in a good mood. Oh, uh, yes. Not, not a good time. Leo! Hey, Jim! Just say, I'm the king of the world! What? Why would I yell that? It sounds unnatural. But, but you gotta sell it. These are some shots we'd like you to cut from the shooting schedule. You think it's gonna bomb? I don't know, Jim. I'm not gonna lose my job over no. this. This keeps up. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Excuse me? Jim, we're on pace for $200 million on this. I've already made cuts here, Bill. Jim. If you wanna cut my film, you'll have to fire me too. And if you're gonna try to fire me, you're gonna have to kill me. Jim, come on. Nothing to talk about, Bill. If you're such an expert, you can finish the movie yourself. Hey, Bill. Hey, Jim. I understand your position here. I want this. So, here's what I'll do. I'm Matt Schrader, and Blockbuster starts now. We're behind schedule and we're over budget. Variants report this is the Spring, 1997. Los Angeles. Titanic is now on pace to top $230 million, and executives were panicked. Filming wasn't yet finished, and special effects shots were starting to come in. James had just stepped into an edit bay for a few hours of work with his two co-editors, Conrad Buff and Richard Harris. Why did I do this? Huh? Richard spun around in his chair. Hey, Jim. Come on in. Hey, how's it going, Richard? Oh, good, good. James looked weathered, anxious, wound up, and worn down. Conrad just stepped out for a moment. We got it all laid out. James tried to relax, finally able to seal off the pressure and criticism of the outside world in this dark, soundproof edit bay where he could focus on the creative. His cell phone didn't work well in here, so the vortex of gossip and studio pressure couldn't reach him. Oh, hey, Jim. It was James' other editor, Conrad Buff. Come in, close that door. Are you okay? No, no. You don't want a coffee? No, thank you. Please. All right. They had assembled the whole film for pacing, using storyboard images for the last few scenes James was still shooting. As a joke to himself and his two editors, James had taped a razor blade to one of the monitors with a sticky note that said, use in case film sucks. The biggest immediate concern was the movie was nearing four hours long which worried Fox and Paramount. Jim, I just don't see where else we can cut this to get under three hours. I know. What about all the little historical bits? Do we need to show those? Well, that's an idea, yeah. Not really part of the main story. I mean, it's great, but if we have to cut it down. Yeah, uh, what will that do to our runtime? Let me look. Well, I know, get us to around... 
Three hours, 14 minutes or so, once you get the final scenes put in. Uh, we'll call it two hours and 74 minutes. <laughs> you think that's enough? No, but I, I can convince them. And then it'll look better on the one sheets for the theaters. Okay. <laughs> 274. As simple as it was, the trick worked. Many theaters that might never accept a movie over three hours would with Titanic. James was banking it wouldn't matter after opening weekend. The movie would already be out, and hopefully by then he'd have proven them all wrong. This is the season finale of Blockbuster, the story of James Cameron. Steady. Uh, all right, all right. Everyone hold still for the water to settle. Okay? Long Beach, California. James and hundreds of background actors and crew were filming some of the final scenes of Titanic at a mid-century style Olympic swim stadium. This building had windows with a view of the Pacific Ocean, but they were covered up today to control the lighting. Kate was floating on a wooden door and Leo was in the water next to her. James was in the water with a wetsuit and giving feedback on each take. Cut, okay, that's good, that's good. Uh, the water is actually below freezing, okay. so Rose and Jack are starting to feel the terror of this moment, okay? Sure. She's just realizing people are starting to freeze to death. Okay. So she thinks these could be her last breaths too and her last words to Jack. Okay, should I look around? No, no, just to him. Just at Jack. Okay. And Jack, you're you're trying to fight the freezing water, but you already know you're not gonna make it. Right. This is our last conversation. You know that, yeah. Rose, not yet. Got it. Sure. Okay. Okay. And roll camera. Quiet all around. Roll camera. Speed. Sound. Rolling. Slate. Scene 137. Take four. And action. It's getting quiet. Just a few more minutes. It'll take him a while to, to, to get the boats organized. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I intend to write a strongly worded letter to the White Star Line about all of this. I love you, Jack. No. No. Don't say your goodbyes, Rose. Don't give it's up. So cold. You're, you're gonna get out of this. You're, you're gonna go on, and you're gonna make babies, and you're gonna watch them grow, and you're gonna die an old lady, warm in her bed. Not here. Not this night. You understand me? I can't feel my body. Rose, listen. Winning that ticket was the best thing that ever happened to me. It brought me to you. And I'm thankful, Rose. I'm thankful. Cut. Wow. Wow. Was that better? That, it, it, it was magnificent. You're, you're... 
you're going to make everyone cry their eyes out. Yeah, all right. That's the one. Great work today, everyone. Kate, Leo, incredible work today. Really lovely. He pulled himself out of the water. James was finally feeling the emotion of his film coming through, and he knew he'd captured something special despite the world of pressure and ridicule around him and his cast and crew. Uh, Jim, I have Jamie Horner on the line for you. Sure, uh, let me just try my hands. Uh, Jamie, I'm handing him the phone now. Here, here you are, Jim. Jamie, how's it going? Hey, Jim, listen. I was just wondering if you're in a good mood. Uh, not sure I'll ever be in a good mood for the rest of my life after this film, but great day of filming, so let's say yes. Good mood. Oh, splendid. I hope it stays that way. Yes, don't change a thing. I want you to come hear something I've written. Can you send it over? We should meet about this one in particular. All right, what's it, uh, four now? Uh, I can be there in, say, around six? Perfect. See you then. Hey, buddy. Come on in. So good to see you. Can I get you anything? No, no, I'm good. I've been wondering what you're about to spring on me. But... Well, think of it this way. Oh, great. No, 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 it's nothing bad. It's just, what's the one thing you said you didn't want for the movie? Uh, I don't remember. A, a, a song? A song. Oh, you did Just, just give it a chance. It's for the end credits only, using all the same themes from the movie. You know the piano music from the scene where Jack's sketching Rose? Yeah. Well, that's actually this same song on the piano. <sighs> okay. So now this will fit perfectly at the end. Jamie was so convinced James would love the song that he'd written much of the film's music around the same tune and held a top-secret recording session with a pop megastar. Oh, and it's Celine Dion singing. Celine Dion? How did you get... Well, it was a meeting, but she wanted to record a demo, so it just sort of happened. It seemed like a long intro for a song. And she's big, right? <laughs> yes, she's very well-known. As the chorus kicked in, James suddenly realized Jamie was a genius. That voice. Horner had created one of the most iconic film songs of all time, and just as he predicted, his director loved it. And James successfully convinced the Fox executives as well. Titanic had found its musical heartbeat. October 1997. James finally had finished cuts of the film, and the first press screening was set for the Tokyo Film Festival. The response? Mixed. This expensive, high-profile production filled with problems and delays had tainted many reviewers' first impressions. 
They found it hard to take this action movie director seriously in a dramatic film about real events. Executives at Paramount and 20th Century Fox gritted their teeth. They began to sell off pieces of the film's sets as scrap metal to recoup some of their investment. Titanic had been ill-advised from the beginning, and now, with a three-hour, 14-minute runtime that had theaters spooked, they could see trouble ahead. Sunday night, December 14th, five days before its public release, Titanic was having its big celebrity premiere at the same theater that had shown Star Wars and changed the course of James' life, the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard. In exactly 20 years, James had transformed from a college dropout driving trucks to director of the biggest movie of all time. Even in the face of possible doom, James felt a certain poetry being here again. Despite mixed reviews from press, this was the hottest ticket in town. Arnold was here. Hey, you. Good movie. So was Bill Paxton, Sylvester Stallone, Ray Liotta, and Leonardo DiCaprio, with the Titanic marketing budget kicking in. Now one of the fastest rising stars in Hollywood. Leo! 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 Leonardo, what's it like starring in a $200 million movie? Oh, it's the single most incredible movie experience of my life. <laughs> so far. So far. It made a man out of me. I'll tell you that. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night. It was one star after another on the red carpet. A swarm of reporters and cameras all battling for position. Celine! Celine! Celine Dion stepped out onto the carpet. Her song, My Heart Will Go On, had just begun playing on the radio, and she walked over to the cameras. Reporters were asking everyone about whether Titanic could possibly live up to the hype. Celine, wonderful song. Hello, how are you? Do you think the movie will get any Oscar nomination? Uh, you know, I am very superstitious, so I can't talk about the future. But definitely, I know that this movie will have a wonderful life. It will have the life it deserves. Thank you, Celine. Director James Cameron, how are you feeling tonight? Yeah, very good, very good. Big night for us. Do you feel all the attention has helped or hurt the film? Uh, yeah, it's it's not been uh, great for us, I'll be honest. It uh, means we, we gotta prove them all wrong, you know? The film is three hours long. What do you say to the people who are not gonna go see it? Oh, uh, well, uh, I, I guess we'll see tonight. James had reason to be nervous as the marathon film ended. He hoped his friends and his peers would applaud at the end and cringed when it didn't come right away. It was a relief for James, but he knew people always applauded at premieres. Titanic's real test would be the ticket sales when the film opened on Friday night in 2,700 theaters across the nation. Earlier that year, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, had opened to $72 million at the box office, followed by Men in Black, which made $51 million on opening weekend. Titanic would fall well short of those, only a fraction of their success, $28 million, barely edging out the James Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies at the box office. Newspapers began to snark at James' big-budget film. It was an epic letdown, and though most reviewers seemed to like it, it was the scathing ones that stood out. What really brings on the tears is Cameron's insistence that writing this kind of movie is within his abilities. Not only is it not, it's not even close. Titanic is dead in the water. An unconscionable disaster.
disaster. Titanic, at three hours and 10 minutes, is a crashing bore. Glug, glug, glug. The ship herself is one of the most tragic romantic figures in all of history. The last thing she deserves is to be plundered by the likes of James Cameron. In Hollywood, the opening weekend box office is hugely important because it predicts the overall success of a film. Generally, studio films will earn about three times whatever they make on opening weekend. In the case of Titanic, that was just $90 million, and much of that money would go to the movie theaters themselves. Like the Titanic, James' movie was a symbol of arrogance, something too big, too ambitious, only to end up sinking those on board. James was responsible for a humiliating defeat for two-storied American film studios. Paramount was on the hook for $100 million and Fox for $175 million. Not making back this money meant fewer chances for filmmakers in the future and dropping stock prices and possible layoffs. James wanted to crawl into a hole and never come out, fearing he'd just undone his entire career. Depression sank in. His marriage to Linda Hamilton was straining under all this collective stress. His old friend Bill Wisher took note. Hello. Oh, hey, Bill. Listen, man. Let's get out to the desert a few days. Get away, camp out with the guys a few nights. I don't know, Bill. It'll do you good. We'll bring out the bikes and the paintball guns, too. <laughs> well, that, that does sound fun. We'll head out tomorrow night. All right. Yeah, okay. Perfect, man. Yeah. Uh, hey. Thanks, Bill. Of course. See you soon. Joshua Tree National Park. A small caravan of pickup trucks loaded with dirt bikes had set up camp for the night as a crimson red sun was beginning to tuck behind the horizon's rounded rocky ridge. Got the onions, peppers. Hey, do you got another skewer? Yeah, I'll grab another. Bill, Randy, and James' brothers, John David and Michael Cameron, had set up chairs around a campfire. It was already raging as the sky and stars above began to turn the dusty California desert dark blue. Here you go, Jim. Oh, thanks, man. Wow, fire got going fast. You want a skewer? Nah, I got one here. They were all huddled around the fire, which lent a cozy and comforting intimacy in the wide open desert. James always found it difficult to unplug, but this place where he'd come with Gale before worked wonders. I don't know. I, I made a $200 million chick flick where everybody dies. fuck was I thinking? I, I just totally fucked myself. No, but you made a really good movie. Yeah, but it's gonna tank. You know, it, it's gonna be a disaster. It, it's going to be like uh, Cleopatra, you know, the movie that broke a studio. Cleopatra, starring Elizabeth Taylor, was synonymous with financial disaster. Its massive costs doomed 20th Century Fox, which had to sell off parts of its own studio to avoid going bankrupt. Just invoking the name Cleopatra was bad juju in Hollywood, even decades later. This will all pass, Jim. You're gonna be fine. The movie's incredible. And it's gonna age like a fine wine. 
Not if people remember it as a dud. I'm going to have to reinvent myself all over again. James Cameron had given up everything he'd built as an action movie director for this, a chance to make his masterpiece, a chance to prove himself as a serious director, to vindicate his decision to turn his back on the sciences, a real career, to follow his passion for writing stories, to make his father proud. Now he was confronting a devastating public failure and the reality that his career had peaked and his best days were behind him. We're here for you, buddy. We'll get all that anxiety out at the paintball park tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming out here and, and setting this up. To everyone's surprise, Titanic defied all projections. While other films tapered off after two or three weeks, Titanic held strong at number one for two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months, two and a half months, and then three months at number one. On March 14th, one week before the Academy Awards, Titanic broke Star Wars' all-time box office record. The biggest movie of all time would earn over $1.2 billion. The film would earn 14 Oscar nominations, and for the first time in his life, James was nominated not only for Best Film, but for Best Director. Live from Los Angeles, California, the 70th anniversary Academy Award. March 23, 1998, Shrine Auditorium in downtown Los Angeles, across the street from the campus of USC, where James had visited so many times to study film technology. James had taken his seat, surrounded by Jamie Horner, his producers, and all his department heads in his orbit, and the stage opened to reveal host Billy Crystal on a set piece resembling the bow of the Titanic. Well, good evening. It was clear from the very start, James' movie would be the star of this show. Wow, look at that. Wonderful night for Oscar, 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 who will win? Crystal had a short song for each nominated film, Titanic first. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a giant ship that started many years ago with an over-budget script. James chuckled along in his seat. Director man who made accountants sick. Two studios teamed up to pay for a three-hour flick. Everybody, a three-hour flick. Throughout the rest of the night, a different presenter would introduce each of the Best Picture nominees. Titanic seemed the favorite and James was getting nervous. And as the music played, James' old friend Arnold Schwarzenegger made his way to the podium. Ladies and gentlemen, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, hey, it's Arnold. <clears throat> My friend, the director of Titanic, James Cameron and I have made three movies together. The Terminator, Terminator 2, and True Lies. That was, of course, uh, during his early, low-budget art house period. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Things have changed since then. Titanic is now the most successful motion picture in history. 
Some say its box office will grow so large, it may actually show profits that no accountant can hide. Anyway, as enormous as the canvas is, it paints a heartbreaking tale of young love in the midst of pulse-pounding adventure. Here are some of the scenes from tonight's first nominee for Best Picture, The Titanic. For James, it was a special moment. His peers gathered here, celebrating a reel from the film he'd risked everything on and given everything up through years of public criticism. He lived up to the Cameron name and persevered. Host Billy Crystal returned to the stage as the applause settled down. Crystal glanced at James. That clip cost 15 million. <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. While James had given up his stake in Titanic to keep creative control, he was relieved the film that could have ruined him would be considered a triumph. Tonight's Oscars, watched by nearly 60 million households, would determine just how much of a triumph. And the Oscar goes to Robert Legato, Mark Lassa, Thomas L. Fisher, and Michael Kampfer for Titanic. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... Russell Carpenter for Titanic. Conrad Buff and Richard A. Harris for Titanic. As the night carried on, Titanic picked up even more momentum. Each person thanked their demanding, perfectionistic director, who'd brought out the best in them. The Oscar goes to James Horner, Titanic. It was Jamie's first Academy Award. He would win two Oscars that night for best score and best original song. I don't write speeches because I'm always so superstitious. But Jim Cameron, Thank you for being in a good mood that day <laughs> when I brought you the song. Thank you all. Now in victory, all was forgiven. Titanic would end up with a record-breaking number of Oscar wins. Finally, it was time to announce Best Director. Actor Warren Beatty made his way across the stage. The nominees for the best achievement in directing are. Peter Catanio for The Full Monty. Gus Van Zandt for Good Will Hunting. Curtis Hansen for LA Confidential. Adam Egoyan for The Sweet Hereafter. James Cameron for Titanic. James clasped his hands together along the aisle of the auditorium, surrounded by his creative team. The Oscar goes to James Cameron for Titanic. James rocked his head back, letting the weight of the moment set in, and stood up to acknowledge everyone around him with high fives and handshakes. In the row behind him was Jamie Horner, beaming with joy. Incredible, Jim. Jamie. They shook hands and James began pointing to all the smiling faces from his team. You, 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 yes, yes, yes. James turned to walk to the stage and was met by Arnold Schwarzenegger. You did it. Arnie. Congratulations, Jim. Oh. Oh. Then Kate Winslet in the front row, alongside actress Gloria Stewart. Oh, this is brilliant. Congratulations, James. You did this. He finally turned to walk up the five steps to the podium. <laughs> Congratulations. Warren. Uh. James took the statuette with one hand before the other grasped it as well. 
the most cherished prize he would ever win gleamed in the spotlight as he stepped up to the microphone. James looked at the audience, they were his peers, and looked at his parents sitting in the back of the auditorium. Every director that ever stood up here had his cast to think. And I, I had a killer cast. They really threw down for me. Uh, so Kate, Gloria, Leo, Kathy, Francis, and Billy, Bill, Susie, Lewis, and about 80 others, you guys gave me pure gold every day. And I share this gold with you. Everybody else that I was going to thank either got an Oscar or a nomination, so they're covered. <laughs> and, and my original producers, my parents, who are here tonight, Philip and Shirley Cameron. He looked to his parents, embarrassed to be mentioned but glowing with pride. Shirley was already crying, and Philip wiped away a tear. Mom, Dad, there is no way that I can express to you what I'm feeling right now. My heart is full to bursting, except to say, I, I feel like I'm the king of the world! Woo! Congratulations. Oh, here, right this way. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're clear of the cameras. Oh. If you just step right through here, they're gonna take your photo and engrave your statue. Thank you. You're in rare air now, Jim. Oh. Warren. King of the world, indeed. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Cameron, congratulations. May I take your photo? Of course, of course, yes. Uh, yes, yes. Man, these things are cool. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Turn slightly. Okay. One more. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, and congratulations, Mr. King. Thank you. We engrave your award right over there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations to you, too. Really, truly, thank you so much. Mr. Cameron, I have your parents for you. Oh, honey. Mom, you guys. You made me cry in there with your speech. I'm sorry, Mom. Son? Dad. You done good. Dad. I'm sorry I doubted you. This is remarkable. Dad. No, 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 no. I'm proud of you. Oh, Philip, you're making him cry. He's gotta go take pictures. Stop it. It's okay, Mom. Let's go get this baby engraved, huh? He would take the stage one final time that night when Titanic won Best Picture. James Cameron had conquered Hollywood. After reconciling with his own dad, James vowed to be a better father himself. Telling a Canadian journalist he planned to spend the next year with his daughter in their backyard, building sandcastles.
Although James' marriage to Linda Hamilton ended in 1998, two years later, he would marry his soulmate, actress Susie Amos, with whom he's been married ever since. Together, they have two daughters and a son and have co-founded schools, environmental causes, and humanitarian organizations. James would go on to film several documentaries about the oceans and would embark on a record-breaking submersible dive to the deepest part of the Mariana Trench, nearly three times the depth of Titanic, the first ever successful solo dive. Surface, this is Deep Sea Challenger. I am on the bottom. Depth is uh, 35,756 feet. Unbelievable. He would explore the ocean floor, discover several new species of animals, and take scientific samples that would advance the field of marine biology. James' 2009 film Avatar would break Titanic's box office record and revolutionize digital filming techniques, now in use by Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, Guillermo del Toro, and Christopher Nolan. He's currently finishing his most ambitious project yet, the simultaneous filming of a four-film franchise set in the Avatar universe. He's also an advisor to NASA on a planned mission to Mars. Actress Sigourney Weaver, now a Hollywood icon, said of James Cameron, There are very few geniuses in the world, let alone in our business. And he's certainly one of them. I'm Ross Marquand. I play the role of James Cameron in Blockbuster. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. I'm series creator Matt Schrader. Hey, I'm the sound designer, Peter Bavitz. I'm Fernando Arroyo Lascurain, the composer. I'm producer Elena Bavitz. I'm Ross Marquand. I play the role of James Cameron in Blockbuster. And this is our final creator chat about the finale episode you just heard of Blockbuster, the story of James Cameron. I hope you've enjoyed this series. We certainly did making it. What a wild ride making this whole thing through uh, the coronavirus times and doing things remotely in many cases. Let us know what you think. Please take a moment to leave us those ratings, share with a friend. That's the only way we can bring you future seasons. Uh, continue to grow the podcast, continue to make things that are uh, as much work as we've all put into this this series to make this um, make this as, as great as we can make it. Ross Marquand, such an incredible portrayal of James Cameron for this. And even in recording, I remember 
sort of melting into certain lines and forgetting that oh, you weren't you. James Cameron? What was it uh, that you felt you could tap into? Well, for one thing, I you know, 2001, A Space Odyssey, I know is one of his favorites. It's my favorite movie of all time. And I just, I just, I'm, I'm in awe of what he does. I'm in awe of the the team that he's surrounded himself with. Of course, uh, you know, teaming up with Gail and Hurd, um, who I, I respect the hell out of. I've, you know, really enjoyed working with over the years. But, uh, you know, I just, I just love the background of this guy, you know, coming from Canada, making four bucks an hour as a truck driver to becoming arguably one of the most iconic filmmakers of all time. And I think, you know, Every artist, every actor, filmmaker, you know, makeup artist, whatever, whatever your chosen profession is, you all go into it hoping that it'll work out. You know, I, I, I certainly was hoping it would work out for me, but for a long time, I didn't think it would. I, I got very yep. discouraged. I think a lot of us get discouraged because after enough years under your belt where it's one failure after the next, you think, oh, it's, it's probably not going to happen. And I actually gave up acting right before I booked uh, The Walking Dead. But with James, I love his story because it sounds like there was never any question in his mind that he was going to quit. You know, it was just he, he had this idea in his head and he just he went for it full, full force. And I love that because he, he almost exerted his will upon the filmmaking world and said, no, no. <laughs> Trust me, just give me the opportunity and uh, give me give me the budget, of course. I will give you excellence. Yeah, perfection. And he, he did. He sure did. Fernando, the end of this story is the kind that I always love in stories. It's, it's music for the last several minutes of the whole thing. James w- finally winning and reconnecting with his dad backstage and the triumph of a, a legacy like very few people in the world have ever made. And tell us about how you crafted the music for the, the end of this series, the, the big payoff to all of the emotion that James has been feeling. Well, one of the first conversations we had when we set out to write the music was that we wanted two things. A theme that was easily recognizable throughout the series for James and also Mm -hmm. have that theme and that music pay off at the end of the series. So we've been talking about this last cue, I think, from the very beginning. And I actually tried a different versions as we were going along and you know, try doing different things and was always conscious in my mind of making sure we lead up to this big moment. In this final piece, we end up revisiting a lot of the most important uh, themes and sounds that we've heard throughout the story. And we also revisit the big moment of reconciliation with his dad. Uh, Every time we've heard the parents' theme, or what's the theme between James and his parents, there's always a certain sadness or certain detachment there. But this time, we finally feel it be a a little bit more fleshed out and more present as his dad finally gives him the acknowledgement he's been wishing for. Yeah, I was so excited to hear the, the, the end of this music, which has got to be a lot of pressure to put on a composer to say, hey, make this music really land (laughs) at the end of the whole thing. This is a job. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We had these moments throughout our series where James is in a nightmare vision of the Terminator, where he's in this this PCP-induced haze. And um, this last episode had 
a little bit of a misdirection too, where I think everyone expects Titanic is going to be this surprise hit. Right. And because we all know that now. And it wasn't when it was first released. Mm-hmm. James was really devastated a couple weeks in because it was looking like this was really going to damage 20th Century Fox uh, and, and destroy James' reputation. It was it was like a, a game of dominoes and all of the pieces were laid out way, way far, <laughs> you know, back from where they were anticipating it being. And then once it finally caught fire and once it, the dominoes hit, it just became a worldwide phenomenon. I remember I, I I must have seen that movie three times, and you know, mostly on dates because everyone everyone wanted to go on, <laughs> on a date right. night and watch that movie. But it it was such an affecting movie. It, it really, you know, every time you watch it, you're like, man, this is this really it tugged at my heartstrings. You know, there's a lot of really amazing themes in that. You know, and uh, it's heartbreaking, of course, but. You know, it's it's a beautiful film. To make something like that and, and pour your heart in it and go on these dives to the bottom of the ocean yeah. and then to see that fail in the box office and then finding out you just lost most of the money from this to, thing. To imagine James out in the desert with his buddy saying, I think I'm done. I think I'm washed up. I think this is going to be the end of my career. I just can't even imagine, you know, what a, what a, what a wonderful surprise the universe had in store for him after that, you know. Because we've all had ups and downs in the industry, I think in any industry for that matter. But the idea that he could be so dejected and so down on his luck and so hopeless in that moment and thinking this might be the end of my career or I'd have to, you know, really come back in a big way years from now and reinvent myself. Um, what a what a wonderful gift the universe had in store for him and saying, no, no. We're just kidding. It's, it's just it's a slow burn. We're gonna get there. Uh, it's just gonna take some extra time, and then to stay at the the box office, number one at the box office for the next four months is just it's right. wonderful. It's a really it's a really cool um, happy ending, you know. Peter, the Oscars are a huge moment for James, but through all of this series, you've been weaving in these real archival sound moments, and at the end of this episode, there's there's a lot of this, but. Um, but we also hear other things that are archival as well that are, are I, I felt like really helped deliver the authenticity of this being, you know, a real story of real things that happened. Yeah. And I think from my point of view, what, what I strive to accomplish with scenes that have the archival elements in them is not to make it sound 100% mm-hmm. archival. It's rather I'm trying to bring the archival elements to life. Right. Because we can degrade audio all we want, but it's it's the other way. We really want those things to come back and, and relive those experiences. So, you know, we start sprinkling all the elements around and we know we won't be able to do 100 percent because there's a degradation in the original audio and there's the factor of time. I mean, this was over 20 years ago that he got the Oscar. But but still, you know, it's about we want to experience it. I mean, I want to experience that moment again. One of my favorite things that. I stumbled upon well after writing all of this, which is that the the James Horner storyline, you know, doing this song with Celine Dion that's top secret and all these questions. Are you in a good mood, Jim? Are you in a good mood? Finally, James hears the song. Um, and that. the moment I actually didn't catch until we were almost done with the series is when Jamie says winning his Oscar uh, for the the music and the song for Titanic, he says that in his Oscar speech to James. He says, thank you for being in a good mood that day. And uh, I can't believe I missed this when we were putting it together, but it was a perfect way to tie up their work together on Titanic. And what I found so incredible is this ambitious attitude that James Cameron has, willing to outwork 
anyone and figure anything out. And he's going to find a way. And his friends, Randy Frakes and Bill Wisher, never had any doubts he would succeed at whatever he did because of those trials, as you've heard in some of our bonus interview episodes with them. But even even they never expected he would become the biggest blockbuster director of all time of Titanic and, and Avatar. And uh, we hope that ambition is rubbed off on uh, on you like it has for us. We were getting goosebumps throughout making this for the last nine months. And so many surprises. In the I, I think it did rub off on us because we felt that, you know, to match his ambition, we have to be ambitious, too, with this story and, like, with telling this yep. story, bringing it to you. Um, so I think this is, like, one of the most ambitious podcasts yet, if not the most ambitious podcast yet. I can say being along for every step of this process, this this is the most ambitious podcast that has been created. Just the attention that's put into every aspect of this to try to figure out ways to do things. It took a lot of time and energy. I'm so grateful to everyone who is involved this whole season. I really want to thank you all for being a part of it. it, it pleasure to work with you. And uh, I think this is the richest, most rewarding experience I've had making something creative like this. And uh, I'm so honored to be able to share that with you all. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you. And uh, Ross, where can people connect with you on social media? They can find me on just my name, uh, at Ross Marquand, on Twitter or Instagram. And producer Elena Baviets. You can find me on Instagram at Elena Baviets. It is E-L-E-N-A-B-A-W-I-E-C. And the maestro, the beautiful original score from Fernando Arroyo Lascarain. Fernando, where can people connect with you and buy the soundtrack and support your work? I'm on Instagram at F-A-R-R-O-Y. And you can get the score at getblockbuster.com and visit the store. Perfect. Right there on the uh, front page of the store. And the wizard of sound design and recording that brought all, what, 200,000 of these audio clips together? The amazing Peter Bavitz. Yeah, thanks a lot for being a part of this. Uh, you can follow my work at peterbavitz.com or follow me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at pbavitz which is P-B-A-W-I-E-C. And I'm Matt Schrader. You can follow me at Matt Schrader on Twitter. But more importantly, help us make the next season. We're really excited to uh, be putting together the first steps of what we hope can be a really powerful and inspiring season three. So uh, share Blockbuster Pod on all your social channels with your friends who may enjoy this. And if you so choose to uh, support the creators, you can also send us a small contribution directly at getblockbuster.com. And we'll even share with you some of our bonus elements along the way in making this season. Um, but it's been a, a real treat to bring this all to you. And uh, thank you again for spending the last 10 episodes with us on Blockbuster Season 2, The Story of James Cameron. For all of us here, I'm Matt Schrader, and thank you for listening. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Blockbuster is written and narrated by me, Matt Schrader. Sound design by Peter Bavietz. Original music by Fernando Arroyo Lascarain. Produced by Elena Bavietz. Starring Ross Marquand. For more on Blockbuster, follow us on social media at BlockbusterPod. Or visit us online to support the creators at GetBlockbuster.com. Blockbuster is an original production of Epiclef Media.